I invite you to join me, John chapter 21 and verse 7. John 21 and verse 7. Amen. I hope you have been enjoying this series on Jesus. And we've been looking at different encounters with Christ, with those who were in need, those who were hurting, those who were broken and needed a Savior, and this is no different. The Word of God says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now skipping to verse 17, and before I continue reading, just so you know, the disciples were out on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. They had toiled all night and caught nothing. And it was during this, this moment where Jesus also tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. And they caught a great catch of fish. This is in that same setting. And it says in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Someone say amen. I'm going to preach today on this thought, Jesus restores. Someone say, Jesus restores. You may be seated in the presence of God in the art world, there is a renowned painting that captivates the hearts and minds of all who behold it. Remnants, remnants, Rembrandt, excuse me, masterpiece, The Night Watch. This work of art filled with vibrant colors and intricate details has uh, stood as a testament to Rembrandt's genius for the centuries. However, tragedy struck some decades ago when a deranged individual took a serrated knife to this painting, slashing it and leaving it in ruin. And the damage seemed to be irreplaceable. Yet the painting was not left forever marred and damaged. Rather, a team of conservators stepped in and painstakingly began the process of repairing the canvas through a technique called little bridges. And through these little bridges, they sewed delicate threads to reconnect torn edges and create a support system on the back of the canvas until all of the scars on the surface of the canvas virtually disappeared. This was not a process that took place overnight. Uh, these conservators took uh, many days, weeks, and even months to ensure that this work of art was restored back to its former glory. 
that it can be once again appreciated, uh, once again be viewed by all, art admirers and everyone. And they took their time in doing this. It was a delicate process. Thread by thread, the painting was reborn. Little bridge by little bridge, Remnant's masterpiece was fully restored so that looking upon the surface, you could appreciate it and never know that there was uh, an attack against it and never know that there was a, tor a tear in this, this work of art. And something today, friend, in church happens, something similar happens when God steps in to restore our lives. He skillfully weaves his grace into the broken fibers of our lives, forming little bridges, as it were, between our failures and his forgiveness, uh, between our mistakes and his mercies. And there was no one more uh, adept to this, no one knew this better than the figure in our story today by the name of Peter or Simon, or Simon Peter. We're all talking about the same man. Peter, a zealous, outspoken disciple of Christ, had experienced the pinnacles of joy as he walked alongside the Messiah for three and a half years of his life, getting a front row seat to the Lord himself in both the public setting and the private setting. Peter had the the fortunate uh, blessing of being able to be trained and, and groomed by the Lord himself. And so he was in a position of privilege. And he was a man who believed with all of his heart that Jesus was the Lord. You might recall that it was, that it was Peter who declared when Jesus asked, Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It was Peter who opened up his mouth and said... That you are the Christ, amen, the son of the living God. Praise be to God today. It was Peter whom, when Jesus was walking out on the shore, stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water. It was this disciple who at times was uh, his, his impulsiveness, his passion got the best of him. It worked in his favor at times and at other times when we see him pulling out a sword to chop a guy's ear off or getting in the way of Jesus, um, it worked uh, in, uh, for his worst. It brought out both sides of him. And so for better or worse, Peter was a passionate man. He was a man who was outspoken. He was a man who was zealous for the things of God. He was a man who uh, was just uh, full of fire for God and, and was not afraid to tell everybody that uh, and shout from the rooftops that, that he loved God and that he was loyal to him. It was Peter who declared his unwavering loyalty when Jesus predicted that somebody was going to betray him. Surely not me, Peter, opened up his mouth. I am loyal. I would never do such a thing to you, but in a moment of weakness, in a moment of sheer anxiety, Peter succumbed to this fear, just as Jesus had predicted, and he denied knowing Jesus three separate occasions in the hours leading up to his crucifixion. Peter's failure was put on display it was magnified in a way that maybe some other disciples' failure would not be. 
Because for someone whose, uh, whose passion was not so uh, out there, for someone else who probably took a more average approach, for someone else who probably was hiding in the foreground, their failures may not be as prominent as Peter. But because Peter was so outspoken because Peter was so proud of his faith and so and, and because Peter was so uh, he he wore his his heart on his sleeve his failure tore a hole through his faith like a serrated knife and created such a problem for him his his failure in denying Jesus the way that he did it, it, it felt, uh, it, it cut to the very heart of, uh, of him. It, it cut deep into his life. And now the same man who once dropped his nets to follow Jesus, uh, who once walked on water, finds himself returning to his old life of fishing. The life that Jesus had called him out of. The life that Jesus who when he met him on another occasion at the Sea of Galilee, which happens to be the same setting that we are in today, where Jesus said, follow me. He was a fisherman and a good one at that. When he finds himself with nowhere to go, with no answers, ashamed and afraid to face the music, to face his failures, to face everybody, he goes back to his old life of fishing. And isn't that what we do at times, church? Isn't that how we, how we respond at times when after we have messed up or where things don't turn out right? It's, it's easy to go back to what we're used to. Come on, somebody. It's easy to go back to the way that, that things were. It's easy to go back to our comfort zones. It's easy to go back to uh, the way uh, the life used to be. It's easy to go back to the crutches that, that we have leaned on in the past. It's easy to go back to that old attitude, that old habit, that old way of thinking, that old way of living. It's easy to go back to those places in our life whenever we fall short, whenever we disappoint God, whenever we disappoint others, our family members, or, or even ourselves. It's easy to go back. So let us not be so critical of Peter today as we see him returning back to his old lifestyle fishing on the open seas a, a life that Jesus had called him to forsake to, in order to be a minister in order to be a, a preacher of the gospel there he is out on the sea of Galilee uh, uh, circling uh, trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life trying to make sense uh, of his failure trying to uh, you know uh, pick up uh, the, the broken pieces uh, that he the, the mess that he that he doesn't know how to fix uh, that he is now in uh, and so he's got nothing else to do but go back to the and there may be somebody here today that has been tempted to go back uh, to a place where God brought you from you don't have to say man if you don't want to that's all right uh, but there's somebody here today that has been tempted or has already gone back uh, even if just in your mind even if just in your emotions uh, even if it's just in your spirit to a place uh, where God has brought you out of already but Jesus has sent me here today this afternoon to encounter you with a message of hope and to tell you that God is a restoring God amen come on somebody give the Lord some praise here today God wants you to know that he has not forgotten about you that he still loves you and he's still got a plan for your life come on and clap your hands if you know that God is a God of restoration and he found him on the shore of Galilee, 
But instead of forsaking him, you know what Jesus did like those conservators did with Rembrandt's torn artwork? He began to build little bridges. Someone say little bridges. He began to build little bridges. He began to sew little torn piece by little torn piece in Peter's life in order to reinstate him back to where he belonged in his purpose, back to where he belonged in his calling. And there are a few little bridges today that I hope will encourage somebody who just needs a helping hand. Hallelujah. And the first is this, that God feeds you before he fixes you. God feeds you before he fixes you. When Peter swam over, when he saw that it was Jesus, he jumped into, because again, this is impulsive Peter, right? Peter said, I'm not going to wait for us to dock. I'm not going to wait for the boat to get there. Because sometimes when you see a moment right in front of you, you don't care how you look. You don't care what people say about you. He just jumped in. Someone say, jump in. <laughs> He just jumped right in and said, I've got to get. So he threw on his, I don't even know why he threw on his outer garment, but he did. And, and he jumped into the water and he began to swim over. And when he got to shore and he saw Jesus was there, Jesus wasn't preaching. Jesus wasn't healing. You know what Jesus was doing? He was having a cookout. Someone say he was cooking. <laughs> he was cooking. Yes, he was. Verse 9 says, when they landed, they saw fire. Of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now this verse is significant because the prior verses describe how the disciples had fished all night and caught nothing. Until Jesus told them where to find the fish. He said, guys, I know that you're fishermen. I know that you've been doing this a long time. In fact, you could probably fish blindfolded. But I'm here to tell you, you're going about it all wrong. That's a humbling experience, right? When you think you know what you're doing and someone says, you don't know nothing. <laughs> and, and Jesus says, look, guys, I think I know something about fish that you don't. You're a fisher of men or you're a fisher of fish. I'm a creator of fish. <laughs> I think I know where to find them. And so he tells them, why don't you cast your net on the right side of the boat? And then you're going to have such a catch, you're not going to know what to do with it. And so they did that. And they fished and they caught this. But the thing about this story that draws me in, it draws my attention is how when Peter gets there, he sees that Jesus is already cooking the very thing he had toiled all night trying to catch but came up empty. I need you to see this today, church. I need somebody today to understand how God works. You need to realize that everything you are hoping to attain, everything you are hoping to do to medicate your heart, to deliver your life, to position your life, to get an upper hand, to move up in this world, to do whatever it is you want for you, for your family, in the church, in your world, in the world, in your You need to understand that every Every single goal, I don't care if it's financial, relational, if it's the man or the husband you hope to marry one day, if it's the children you hope to have one, every single goal you could ever imagine that you want for your life, you don't have to waste your time toiling all night because Jesus is already cooking it up for you. Is there a witness in the house of God today? Somebody say amen. Someone say God's already cooking it up. 
We're going to be cooking it up in about an hour from now or less. Amen. But I need somebody to know that God's got his grill out today. And he's already cooking up what you need so that you can make it. So that you can survive. Oh, I wish I had a witness in the house of God today. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, shout amen. He's already got it. He's got it all. And you got to see that when he gets there, imagine the look of surprise on Peter's face when he sees him cooking fish. I don't know what kind of fish it was, brother. I don't know if it was tilapia. I don't know if where he got that fish. But I know that Jesus, uh, even if he supernaturally just spoke the fish into it, because you know he can do that, right? He could just speak it on the grill and there it is, right? He might have done that. But then he says, look, I don't just have fish here. I didn't invite you to my house. Uh, and then let, you know, in that sun when people, they invite you over and what if you're just watching them eat huh they don't even say do you want something to eat he said no I want you to come and have some breakfast with me Peter I didn't just cook this for myself I cooked it for you amen I just came to tell somebody today that whatever it is you're looking for whatever it is you feel you need so that your life can be brought back together again or so that you can take the next step again God already has it but here, here's the thing, here's the thing. Oh, I need, to, I, I need to transfer this into your heart today. Is that Jesus didn't just, when Peter stepped onto the shore, just start talking about the issues in his life. You know, he didn't just say, okay, let's just, let, let's get past all everything. Let's just get right down to business. Now, he could have done that. Jesus could have said, hey, but, you know, we'll eat after, but we got some business to take care of first, huh? Jesus said, no, why don't you eat first? And I think one of the things we know about what we see about the Lord and the way that he works is that he feeds us before he fixes us. He said, look, I need to make sure that you get something in your, in your, in your tummy. I need to make sure that before I begin to work and to reconstruct and to restore and to rebuild, we need to make sure that you've got something in you. We need to make sure that you are filled. We need to make sure that, that you've got something, uh, that you're consuming the right things. And, and I just, I, I think what God is trying to show us here in, in the fact that he fed them is that in order to truly begin a work of restoration, you got to get the word of God, which is the manna from heaven. Jesus said that that. that that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If there is something you need more than anything, it's to get the word of God into your heart and into your spirit and digest it and eat it and consume it. How many of you are thankful for the word of God today? We, we got to be fed first. And the problem is we try to restore people and they're still malnourished and they're not fed. You got to be fed. You got to get the word inside of you because it's the word that's going to bring life. It's the word. Now, we, we, you know, I didn't bring any fish for you today. And Jesus didn't bring his George Foreman grill for you today. But he brought the word. He brought the word. He brought the word. And if you will open up your heart and let the word get inside of you, oh, you'll start to feel your strength come back. Oh, hallelujah. Faith come by hearing and hearing of the word of God. You can 
cannot at this moment in your life devalue or lower your, your esteem and your need for the word of God. If ever you needed the preaching of the word, it's now. If ever you needed to be in church, it's now. If ever you needed to hear what thus saith the Lord, it's now. I got to get the word in my life so that the word can begin to work and so that I can get my strength back. I can get my, my, my mind back. I can get my heart back. I need the word. Another thing that I see here is that, is that Peter, uh, you can't feed others until you're fed. Because in a few moments from now, he will ask Peter, do you love me? And when Peter says yes, what does he tell him? What does he tell him? Come on, help me somebody. What does he tell him? Feed my sheep. You can't feed until you're fed. One of the reasons I believe that Jesus fed him first is to connect him to a spiritual principle, which is you can't give what you don't have. Oh, my Lord, hallelujah, Jesus. You can't give deliverance if you're bound. You can't give love unless you have love. Unless you're the, the hardest person to love someone else uh, is those that don't love themselves. You can't love your, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't give it unless you have it. You can't give peace unless you're at peace. And Jesus said, I need to feel you. I need you to feed so that you can feed others. I need you to feed so that you can help others. I need you to get strong. Because if you don't get strong, Peter, how are you going to lift others up? Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And the problem is, is that nobody gets strong and nobody's lifting each other up. But somebody has to get strong. And somebody has to get the word in there. And somebody has to get founded. And someone has to get rooted. And someone has to let that word really get a hold of their life. And then when they do, they are now strengthened in a way that they can feed others. And they can lift up others. And they can encourage others. Because Peter, you are not called just to be a fisher. You are called to be a fisher of men. Peter, you are not called just to be another man uh, walking on the face of the You are called to preach the gospel. And every single one of you today has a holy purpose and a holy calling. And that is to be the mouthpiece of God and to feed those who are hungry. Somebody say amen. That's the first little bridge, the second little bridge. And, and I'm not going to be much longer as this is that, is that God always gives you another chance. This wasn't the first time. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had appeared to Peter. In fact, Jesus had appeared to him before and and in fact, Peter was the first disciple. Did you know that Peter was the first disciple to see Jesus after his resurrection? The first one. Now read verse 14. It tells us that this is now the third time. Someone say the third time. We always say God's a God of second chances. Can I tell you, he's also the God of third chances. <laughs> he's the God of multiple chances. If he was only the God of second chances, then we wouldn't be reading verse 14 right now. Now, would we? But verse 14 tells us that Jesus appeared to him again. Someone say again. He had already appeared to him twice before. This occasion, knowing that each time Peter wasn't totally ready to bounce back, that he still had reservations. How many of you are thankful that we have a God that will keep appearing in your life even when you're not ready? Woo, 
My Lord, hallelujah. How many of you are thankful, let me pose it to you this way, that we have a God that will keep trying with you even when you're acting stubborn? Oh, Lord, hallelujah, Jesus. How many of you are thankful that we have a God that will keep trying, that will keep knocking on the door of your heart even when you refuse to answer? He'll keep knocking, amen. I said he'll keep knocking. He'll keep trying. And he kept trying. And he kept trying. And he kept coming. And he kept coming. And Jesus appeared to him again. And this is a pivotal part of the process. This is a pivotal part of Peter's restoration process. It reveals something about the patience of God that often goes overlooked even by the most seasoned Christians. See, we really don't comprehend how God's patience works. We really cannot fathom how the patience of God works because the only patience we really know is our own human patience. And you see, for us, we think that patience is just waiting a long time for something. We think that patience is just waiting a long time. Patience is more than just the passing of time. Patience is more than just time passing. That's part of the equation, but that's not everything. Remember that God is eternal. Amen, somebody. I said he's eternal. He's everlasting. In fact, God exists outside of time altogether. He's not bound by time. And so, therefore, think about this. I need you to think. Our definition of patience regarding time wouldn't even apply to God because he exists outside of it. How can you tell an infinite God to be bound by a finite theory? Whoo, my Lord. So patience to God is not simply the passing of time. Peter, the man that's being restored in our story, once said this in 2 Peter 3, 8, with the Lord, one day, someone say one day, is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. Mm. God's patience is not about how long he waits, but how he waits. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to help somebody right now. His patience doesn't just mean that God waits a long time. Maybe that's how we view it from our point of view, our limited point of view. But God's patience is that he is slow to anger. It's not just that he waits a long time. It's that while he waits, he is slow to anger. He is slow to judge. My Lord, I wish I had a witness right now. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to be a few more minutes. Huh? I can see you guys are hungry. You're looking at me. You're hungry. I want to go to the park. Okay, let me tell you something. Why do you think Jesus hasn't come back yet? Why do you think? Well, there, uh, there must be like a problem. No, no, no. There's no prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Every biblical prophecy that, that, that is restraining God from coming back has already taken place. We're living in a time of complete and unmerited grace right now. We're living on borrowed time, if you want to be real about it. So let me ask you the question again. Why do you think Jesus hasn't come back? You think he hasn't come back because God just likes taking his sweet time? How many days, how, let's read it again. 
It's been about 2,000 years since Jesus was on the earth, right? What year are we in? The year 2023. It's been about 2,000 years. That's a long time, is it not? How many of you would agree 2,000 years is a long time? That's a long time to us. With the Lord, one day, someone say one day, is as a thousand years. You know how long it's been for God since he came? Two days. Now, am I saying that Jesus is not going to come for another thousand years? No, he can come today. Amen, somebody? He can come before the service is over. Jesus is coming soon. He was coming soon 2,000 years ago. He was coming soon yesterday. He's still coming. What I'm trying to tell you is that we need to not look at the patience of God as if though it's a period of time. No. The patience of God is about his attitude towards us, which is this. Peter writes in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not with that anyone should perish, but that all would come to repentance. I'll tell you why the Lord has not come back yet. Because he's waiting on one more person that would repent. Come on now. He's waiting on one more that will get restored. Come on, somebody give God some praise today. Come on now, brother. I'm just about done. The reason why Jesus has not returned is because there's still a Peter out there that he's trying to work on. There's still a Peter out there that he's rebuilding. There's still a Peter out there. He said, I will hold. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Oh, I see the archangel Gabriel wanting to put his lips on the trumpet and blow the last trumpet so that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then the saints of God will be caught up together to meet the Lord. In the air, ah, I see my old oh, the angel there. He's tuning his trumpet, brother. He's practicing his, you know, his diaphragm. He's getting ready to blow that trumpet. He said, come on, Lord, there's nothing else waiting on the, on the prophetic timetable. Why don't you just catch away the church? Do you see how bad the world is? Do you see how much sin there is? How many problems there are? And Jesus said, Gabriel, don't you dare blow that trumpet, buddy, until I give you the cue. Why in the world would you wait? Because I see a Peter down there, and he's right on the verge of being restored. He's right on the verge of being baptized. He's right on the verge of getting right. And if I got a whole back heaven, I wish somebody would preach with me right now. I'm preaching better than some of you are saying amen. If he would hold it back for you, he would hold it back for me. He would hold it back for somebody. I need you to worship God. I need you to understand. Understand the only reason why Jesus has not come back yet is because he's waiting on Peter. That's it. Oh my God, that's it. My God, that's it, that's it, that's it. That's the only reason why he hasn't come back is because he's waiting. Peter, he's waiting on Peter. That's it. Uh, hallelujah. Can I just minister in the Holy Ghost for a few more moments? Uh, I got another point, but I'm not going to get to it right now. That's all right. Because I just feel the flow in the Holy Ghost right now. That's why he's waiting. That's why he's waiting. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. He's waiting for you to get right. He's waiting for you to make up your mind. He's waiting for you to, mm, my God, he's waiting for you to get to a place 
where you say, Lord, here I am. He's waiting for you to surrender. He's waiting for you, my God. Somebody needs to hear what the preacher is saying today. He is waiting for you to get over your pride, to swallow that pride that has been binding you from your next blessing. He's waiting for you to put that ego in check and jump into the sea like Peter did and swim to your blessing and swim the restoration. He's waiting for you to stop faltering between two opinions. He's waiting for you to make up who your mind, who you're going to serve. He's waiting for you to ask for forgiveness. He's waiting for you to ask for mercy. He's waiting for you to say, here I am. He's waiting. Peter, ah, Peter, I got all day, Peter. I'm here. I got nowhere else to go, Peter. You are the only one on my agenda today. Oh, my Lord. What would you do? What would you do if I told you that even if you were the only one on God's agenda today, we will, he will wait for you. Oh, my God. He will wait for you. He is slow. How many of you are a witness that God should have given up on you a long time ago? And don't be there with your sanctimonious self. I said, how many of you know that God should have given up on you a long time ago? I know for a fact that he should have thrown me aside and moved on to the next person. But God waited on me. Did he wait on you? Did he wait on you? I think you want to praise him better than that. I think you want to celebrate. I think you want to worship because he waited for you. Whoa, my God. You need to be reminded Jesus could have came back from the church the night before you got baptized, honey. But he held off. And he said, no, I want one more. He could have come the morning. He could have come on your way to church to get him baptized. He could have come, but he said, I'm waiting on him, and I'm going to wait. But let me tell you something right now. He's waiting, but he will not strive with man forever. And so as you stand to your feet right now, I need to preach into somebody's spirit today that, my God, will God wait for you? Yes, you will. But you better not play Russian roulette with your future. You better not gamble away your You better not gamble your eternity. You better not gamble your salvation and say, well, I'll just go tomorrow because God's waiting on me. No, don't let that be the reason. This is the day that the Lord has made.